This podcast is being brought to you by our friends at Redmont Vodka. You can find them on the web at www.redmontdistilling.com. I've started this new new little thing where I read everybody's Birmingham wiki. And so I'm going to read it and then we'll discuss what how how accurate it is. And 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 then one of the fun parts about having you on here is that you may actually be able to get some of these fixed. <laughs> so Roy S Johnson was born March 19th. 1956 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and is the director of content development and statewide opinion columnist for the Alabama Media Group, publisher of the Birmingham News. Johnson attended Stanford University in California with the intention of going to law school. Instead, he cemented his interest in journalism while covering the Patty Hearst trial for the Standard Daily. That's cool. He began his career as a researcher, as a researcher for the Sports Illustrated. He went on to work as a sports reporter for the New York Times and sports columnist for the Atlanta Constitution, focusing on the National Basketball Association. Johnson was the founding editor-in-chief of of Savoy Magazine. Hold on, man. I got two pages. Is that what you tell me? No, I just hit a button. <laughs> it just went blue. All right. He also he has also served as editor in chief of the History Channel magazine, editor at large for Fortune magazine, assistant managed managing editor for Sports Illustrated, and vice president and editor in chief of Men's Fitness. Johnson was credited as co-executive producer for the 2013 ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, Bernie and Ernie, about NBA stars Ernie Grunfeld and Bernard King. He was the co-author of autobiographies for Magic Johnson, Charles Barkley, and Avery Johnson. He is also the founder and CEO of the Fit Live Win fitness coaching brand. Johnson joined the Alabama Media Group in 2014. In 2021, he was one of the three finalists for the Pulitzer Prize for commentary. In the announcement, he was cited for evocative, is that, did I pronounce Hmm? that right? You got it, you got it. (laughs) Evocative (laughs) columns on race and remembrance written with style, urgency, and moral clarity. Roy Johnson, tell me a joke. Why is it that you shouldn't use broken pencils? Why? Because they have no point. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) 
I thought it was nothing fit. better than a, than a good corny joke. I love them, especially from a writer. I thought it was very absolutely. Fitting. It has to be absolutely. when, they, when we absolutely. have the attorneys on here. They have to. So I have a couple of doctors coming up soon. I expect some doctor jokes, some corny doctor absolutely. jokes. Absolutely. So right before we came on, Jarita asked you about your T-shirt, and it is a black t-shirt with a white 1921 and Tulsa right below it. Tell us what you told her about your t-shirts and let me get one. As I Pay for it, of course. Absolutely. As I mentioned, as you mentioned when you were reading the bio, I am a native of Tulsa, Oklahoma, grew up in that city. And because you read my age, you know how old I am. And I grew up really in the last days of Black Wall Street I'm just old enough to remember segregation, and my father owned a store on Greenwood Avenue, which was the heart of Black Wall Street. 1921 represents, for those who were around last year, was the, uh, the race massacre, the Tulsa race massacre was in 1921. So last year was the 100th anniversary of that race massacre. So to commemorate that, I created these T-shirts. I also did it because I grew up in Vernon AME Church. Vernon AME's structure, its foundation, was the only structure that survived the massacre in 1921, and it was rebuilt. And so I grew up in those pews. I have a, 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 a my heart is still in Tulsa uh, on Greenwood Avenue. There's a plaque on the sidewalk in front of where my father's store stood. It took me years to find it, but it's there. It's 1023 North Greenwood is the address. Wow. So I created these shirts and decided that I would give the proceeds to uh, Vernon AME. Uh, they don't know how much it's going to be, so I'm not going to reveal that. Uh, but I'm happy to say that I'm going to go back the first weekend in April with a check uh, representing the proceeds from the sale of this shirt, which I created last year to help commemorate the 100th anniversary of the race massacre. Well, like I said, I want to buy one when we get done. Um, I was kind of taken aback, as I sometimes am, reading your bio because you just my buddy mm-hmm. you, you my friend Absolutely. you know what i'm saying like sometimes you forget the greatness you're amongst and and man like you you've done more than i even knew you had done you know what i'm saying and i'm just proud to call you church family friend and you know somebody that i love talking politics and all that good stuff with man i have only god could take a kid from tulsa oklahoma send him out to california at a school like stanford pluck him from there plant him in new york city at a place like sports illustrated and launch this journey that i've been on so i know it's not me i couldn't have even conceived of that if you had asked me what i wanted to do when i grew up i wanted to be perry mason Really? I wanted to be the cool. He was the coolest lawyer on TV. Yeah. You have to be a certain age to remember who Perry Mason yeah. Yeah. was. But he wore nice suits. He won all the cases, and he got the girl. I mean, yeah. who wouldn't want to do that, right? right? right so right. I wanted to be Perry Mason, but I had this journalism thing in me. I'd been editor of the junior high paper, editor of the high school paper, worked for the Stanford Daily, and as you mentioned, had the great fortune of covering the Patty Hearst trial, where I got to see F. Lee Bailey. Uh, who was the he was the Johnny Cochran of that era. That's he right. was the most flamboyant defense attorney. He was cool. He was a short New Yorker. I mean, he was just a badass, right? And yeah. so I got to watch him up close. And I still wanted to be an attorney, but I said, well, let me try this journalism thing out. Applied to some law schools, deferred my admissions. 
And I applied to pretty much, I think, every media outlet in the country at the time. But one reason I didn't want to go into journalism is because I didn't see people like me on television. People people take it for granted now that they were black. There are black people all over television. There were no black people right. on television. No black people working at most major newspapers. There were only newspapers, radio stations, and television stations at the time. So I didn't see a full career for myself in right. media. So that's why I didn't really pursue it. But I said, well, let me try this thing. And I got two job offers. One was from the Tulsa Daily World, where I would have been in 1978 the first black reporter. I had interned there the summer before, so they knew me and offered me a job. The other offer, the other offer was from Sports Illustrated. <laughs> so, hard, I, that's a so, hard decision. Right, right. <laughs> the, the, I thought about it for much less time than you even used that sentence. <laughs> Got my behind on a plane to New York, and sort of the rest uh, is, is a little bit of my history. But my mother was actually mad. I mean, she wanted me to be a groundbreaker, be a right. pioneer. Sure. I said, Mom, I'm going to leave that history to somebody else. I'm yeah. sorry. I'll see you later. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's how it began. I, I went to Sports Illustrated. And I actually remember the day I landed. It's August 9th, 1978. And I remember that because it's the day the newspapers went on strike. Okay. So I landed in New York, and there were no classified ads to be able to find apartments. I mean, remember, remember there's no internet. There's nothing. <laughs> no, yeah. There's no cell phones. Yeah. So once a week, the Village Voice would come out. It was the only newspaper that would come coming out during the strike because it wasn't one of the daily papers. And so everybody in New York would line up at these newsstands on the corner at 4 o'clock in the morning waiting for them to throw the uh, Village Voice off a truck. And we would grab the Village Voice and we would all run to the same apartment. So that's why I remember the exact date I landed because I landed and there were no newspapers. It was so <laughs> much strange. How right. could you forget? Right, right. 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 So that's just part of the journey. That's how it began. And I've been very blessed to be on the sideline for the growth of the NBA. I've pretty much covered every major sport except hockey. Tell uh, me some of your, you know, hot moments, like some of the ones that stand out. Like, I was there. I did that. I was there for a lot of uh, great NBA moments uh, when – You've know, seen seen a couple of backboards broken by Daryl Dawkins. Uh, <laughs> okay. There is a there is a dunk that if you Google Dr. J, where he comes flying in and comes under the backboard and comes around yep. around Kareem. I was in the arena okay. for that one. Uh, I, I when my kids were growing up and highlights would come on, I would say, I was at that game. I was at that game. My son finally said, Look, can we just assume you were at every game? And you stop telling us <laughs> right. about where you were. Right. So I was at uh, Wimbledon for the debut of a uh, little squeaky player by the name of Monica Sellis, who wow. happened to beat Zena Garris in the first round because she just drove Zena crazy yeah. with that, with that with squeak, that, with the grunt. Right. With the grunt. I, I was at Wimbledon when Martina won her record ninth championship okay. um u.s open a lot of great moments because i was also the go the uh, tennis editor for okay. sports illustrated and i actually have uh, i don't do a lot of autographs but when i was this the college basketball editor at sports illustrated uh this was alonzo morning i want to get alonzo morning on the cover okay and i wanted to get bill russell to pose with him now bill russell didn't do anything for anybody now i knew bill okay. and every time i'd ask him to do something he cussed me out say you know i don't do that shit. <laughs> you know i don't do that shit right and i said come on bill just it's alonzo morning so i have a cover with he did he agreed to do it with alonzo morning and bill russell and one thing bill does not do is sign anything i mean he literally doesn't sign anything but you know me i'm persistent yeah i can keep smiling finally he said he he grabbed the cover 
signed it and said, get out of my face. So I have a cover with Alonzo Mourning and Bill Russell signed among some of the notables that I have oh, in, the, wow. in the Roy Johnson archives. That is awesome. That is awesome. And, you know, funny enough, that's kind of what this podcast is about. It's like, you know, the kids don't want to hear it no more. The wife may or may not want to hear it. The the besties, but like I want to hear it all. You know what I'm saying? Like tell me all the good stuff, you, all you, of the goodies. You 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 want to hear about when I was covering the dream team, uh, the first dream team, the real dream Get team over in Barcelona, here. and was able to have access. They had a whole floor that they turned into kind of a game room for the players, and so sitting there at a table while the guys were playing poker. And seeing Michael Jordan over there, seeing Patrick Ewing over there, seeing oh, Charles Barkley man. over there, and seeing thousands of dollars on the table. Yeah, <laughs> like it ain't like nothing. nothing, right? This, I was like, Ooh. oh man, uh, that's so cool. So that those kinds of things, being in um, uh, you know at the at the Olympics in Seoul, South Korea, to see oh, Flojo uh, at the peak quitting. of her game. Yes. Uh, to see a young Steffi Graf and, and get to know her and Andre Agassi and be so happy for them that they built this school in Las Vegas. Uh, to be I'm to, smiling like a kid, <laughs> man. This is so cool. Yeah. But a lot of my great moments occurred off the court or off the field. I got to know Martina Navratilova. And I have two moments. One, I did a very dumb thing. So after she won a U.S. Open, Martina gave me her racket. So I had a racket that Martina Navratilova won the U.S. Open with. What did you do? I tried to play with it. And Martina's hands were smaller than mine, so the grip was too small for me. And I was playing one day, I tossed up a serve, I whipped it over, This and it was a graphite racket. This racket slipped out of my hand, hit head first on the concrete, and was shattered. Oh, no. I hope Martina doesn't hear this podcast, because... I don't think I ever told her. Oh, no. I know you. Uh, I would have cried. It's one of those moments when yeah. you just realize that you are the dumbest person yeah. on the planet. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Like that's all you could think it, of. Like you just, like, just curse yourself, it's yourself out. out. Right. Like, and, yeah. You, and everybody just looks at you. It's like, yep, that's the dumbest thing ever anybody's ever done. So that's one moment. But oh, a great man. moment is, um, you know, I helped her study for her citizenship test. <laughs> and she was so excited and so scared about becoming she wanted to become a US citizen so badly. I think we take it for granted. We're born here. Yeah. We 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 take it because she she came from Czechoslovakia. She left her country, left nothing and and really wanted to be an American citizen. So, uh out on the tour, she was prepping for the test and she said, "Hey, can you help me study for the test?" So just being with Martina and helping her study for the test was another great moment. And I'll share one more with Magic Johnson, as you wrote, I co-authored a book with him. So got to know him very well. And certainly through the period after he announced he was HIV positive, I was one of three people he spoke to after that announcement. One was he went on the Arsenio Hall show, okay. spoke to a local sports reporter named Jim Hill. And I flew from New York just on the chance that I would get to interview him. And he finally said yes, and I met him behind, in the green room at uh, the Arsenio Hall show, interviewed him for what became a cover story for Sports Illustrated. So got to know him, went through the drama of all the, the backlash and everything that happened for Magic and ultimately him coming through it. And a few years later, he was at the Garden. Uh, he wasn't playing anymore. He was retired at this point. Uh -huh. And he said, I'm going to talk to you at halftime. I'm going to talk to you. So we went 
back into the garden and because I covered the Knicks. So I was at the garden all the time. I actually had Knicks season tickets. So say a prayer for me because I spent many dollars and <laughs> didn't see a damn thing. Right. Um, right. But, uh, so we went back and actually went to the Rangers locker room because it was quiet. And there had been some issue as to whether Cookie would stay with him after he oh. announced he was HIV positive because he said he got it, you know, many of these L.A. parties and mm-hmm. a lot of sex going on. And he pulled me aside and he said, I'm going to stay. I'm going to marry Cookie. He, he said that I've known her since high school. She's my ride or die. So to see them now celebrating a bazillionth anniversary, I remember mm-hmm. the night he just pulled me aside and said, you know what, I'm going to stay with Cookie. So, you know, a lot of a lot of great moments uh, on and off the court with with folks, and uh, I'm actually writing my book. So I don't want to give you everything oh, right now. That is so awesome. hopefully by the end of this year I'll have it done, and we'll see something soon. Well, when we have you back, it will be after your book, and you got to bring me a signed copy <laughs> of it when you come. That is so – as you were saying that, and don't – please – don't take this the wrong way mm. as me in any shape, form, or fashion measuring up. But here again, that's the fun thing about the podcast. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you know for a fact I was right there. Oh, absolutely. For a whole lot of stuff mm-hmm. that people have don't know. no idea. You know what I mean? And so you don't um, talk about it. You, you, yeah. you, you don't live in the past. I, yeah. a, a lot of people and still really tell me. you don't think anything about it. You're kind of just doing your job. It was part of my journey. And, yes, when I, was, when I started covering the NBA, the NBA was not a very popular sport. People forget in the 70s, they thought the NBA was too black. It was transitioning to oh, a wow. new, new type of game. Uh, new players were coming in. I, mm-hmm. If you look at the 19, maybe even the first Magic Championship, so that would have been early 80s. The finals were on tape delay. They weren't even on live television. That's how disrespected wow. the NBA was. You had Magic Johnson playing in the finals against the Philadelphia 76ers, and it was on tape delay. Wow. So it was not a well-thought-of uh, sport. In fact, that's how a lot of black sports writers, that next wave of us, got a lot of opportunity. Michael Wilbon, uh, Dave Dupree at, the, at USA Today, a lot of us— we're working at papers, and you know the, the the white writers got the in the major league baseball beats wrapped mm-hmm. up. Major league baseball was American pastime. That was the best beat to have at okay. that time. NFL was cool too. They wrapped that up. So yeah, we'll give them the NBA. Mm-hmm. Little did they know, <laughs> we'll give them that. Yeah, that this bird and magic thing was going to come along wow. and transform the NBA into That's what now probably cool the most popular sport in America. So. That's right. um, you know, that it gave us a lot of opportunity. Uh, John Thompson, who passed away, I believe it was last year, maybe the year before. Of course, he was a coach at Georgetown. Right. And he he was very much for players' rights, but he was also this big, dark, loud black man. Okay. And, and scared a lot of sports writers. Okay. And he was always talking about things to try to change rights. And he, he joked later in his life that he wanted to take credit for our careers because he was like, every time I said something, they sent y'all down to D.C. to go talk to me, <laughs> which right. was true. Right. So a lot of us got a, a lot of breaking stories with, with John Thompson in Georgetown just because of uh, because of that. So uh, a lot of, like I said, I mean, let me stop because I got a hold back for, for the book. I got to yeah, say something man. for the book. That's, 
don't get you gotta give us we gonna pay a couple of bills right quick but when we get back we, you gotta give us one more smidgen that one of the things that did make the book how about all that all right maybe one Searching for some delicious barbecue and soul food. Get some at Birmingham's Best at Rib It Up, located at 831st Avenue North. Call and order today at 205-328-7427. That's 205-328-7427. Okay, we always kick the second uh, part of the show off with this or that questions, right? I'm going to ask you between you have to choose between this the first one or the second one what's your favorite charity well hold on a second before we do that can i give you one more can i give you just one more little i was there nugget Absolutely. do you mind that i don't think for I have interrupting me you have to do two <laughs> do, I, I, <laughs> well, this is a good one this may this may count for two february 13th okay 1983 i was at the los angeles forum for the NBA All-Star Game when the National Anthem was sung by Marvin Gaye. Oh, wow. Even better, I was at the forum the day before when after practice, and there was probably six or seven people in the arena, he rehearsed oh, the wow. National Anthem. <laughs> and I walked up to him and said, hello, I'm Roy Johnson. He says, I'm Marvin Gaye. I'm like... Of course you are. <laughs> of course you are. And watched him perform. And it was, now again, this was a time when the NBA was changing. It was controversial for them to choose Marvin Gaye. They had always had sort of middle of the road, white national anthem, oh, but the game was changing. Wow. The game was changing. And there were really people who were afraid to put Marvin Gaye on. Now, when he rehearsed it, if you've probably seen the video, and after you, if you haven't, you should go back and yeah, Google I've it. Seen it. It's on YouTube. It's it to me. It's it the best national anthem I've ever heard. Yeah. Just because he sang it. He there was no background. It. There was no That's voice right. track. There was he sang that song the day before. He was a little high, you know. And little something. He sang, and it went on for like ten minutes. But he sang. Oh man! And they were like, it's too long. It's too long. You can't do it. So, so all of a sudden, you got to rein in Marvin Gaye. Right? Yeah. They were really freaking out. So they didn't know what he was going to do when he got to that microphone. If you remember, the track is basically just this this slow, uh-huh. rhythmic. It's not the normal right. music, and but it turned out to be a moment, a moment in sports, a moment in life, a moment in America that if you were there, and, and even if you weren't, I mean, again, I, I love the folks who love the Whitney Houston thing, but... For me, yeah, it's Marvin. That is just so dope. That is just so <laughs> dope, man. I'm gonna come over to your house one day, and I remember you drink red wine. I'm gonna bring you a bottle of red wine, mm-hmm. and you gonna show me all your pictures. <laughs> and we just gonna make a day of it, bro. All right, you got it. All right. So, what's your favorite charity? Your book, ah. of course. If you don't answer one of these questions, for each time you don't answer, because we might have somebody not answer mm. this time, because mm. you know he's a he's a reporter, so he might have to claim middle of the road. I'm not even gonna do Alabama Auburn on you, but I just know him. You can do Alabama Auburn. I don't care. Okay. I ain't scared. I ain't scared. Oh, shit. 
<laughs> okay. Let's get it. Let's kick it off there. Alabama or Auburn? My daughter is a proud graduate of the University of Alabama, so it is. I've written checks to that one. <laughs> the road to Alabama. Railroad Park or botan Botanical Gardens? Railroad Park because it is Birmingham's front porch. Man, it is every, everybody's place. I'm there every day, five miles a day. Protective Stadium or Legacy Arena? Protective Stadium. Okay. Owls or Purple Onion? Purple Onion Wings. <laughs> Lemon Pepper. Okay. Birmingham Zoo or McWayne Science Center? The zoo, of course. I love Man, shit. animals. Love animals. <laughs> they're alive. They're real. They're breathing. Yeah. Sloss Furnace or Vulcan Park? Vulcan, the view. Okay. Alabama Theater or Lyric Theater? Lyric, because I love to just walk by that door that used to be the colored entrance. And I stand there for a moment and think about all the people that had to walk through that door. That's deep. Yeah. Civil Rights Institute or Negro League Museum? Civil Rights Institute, which I think is on an amazing journey. Uh, I look forward to continuing to see it uh, rise and elevate under Dewana Thompson. I'm excited about what it's going to be uh, in the next few years. Yeah, I got her coming on the podcast All right. too. Yeah. Let's switch it up a little bit. Biggie or Tupac? <laughs> Tupac for B. Prince or Michael Jackson? Mm, 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 mm. Got to go with one, right? Yeah. Michael Jackson. All right. Larry or Bird? I mean, Larry Bird or Magic Johnson? Magic. All right. And finally, Muhammad Ali or Mayweather? Go. Are you really... <laughs> asking me that question let me help you let me help you <laughs> like, I'm like i'm like first of all i was about to say i don't care who you say next like uh muhammad ali unless you about to say jesus right look hold on let's let's first of all answer the question muhammad ali second second of all i just you just made it very clear your credentials mm -hmm. and to these little nigglets around here <laughs> that think Mayweather is the goat I wanted you I wanted to ask you that question that's all Relax. Well, I, I, I appreciate it now. If, if, we, if we're in school, you say we're in school. So we're in, in school, school right now. We're in school. Yeah, man. Like, it's a lot of people. They they have no point of reference, and 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 we have an expert here, and so I just I just wanted to. That was a smack at a couple of folks. That's all. And I and and you again. I've had an amazing journey, and again, not trying to drop everything, but I have a, a moment when I spent some time with Ali. He was it was late in his life, and it was it was at his home in Michigan. And of course, like everyone else, he went through the Bible and tried to show me the contradictions and tried to convert me to uh, to Islam. But the best part of the day, this was before the museum existed, the okay. museum in Louisville. He took me down to his basement. That basement was filled with robes, 
trophies and he just walked around and just told little stories about oh. gloves and the rope. So it was just stuff in the basement and, and of course now most of that stuff is in the museum but yeah that was one of those days and I do have a photograph so when you come I got a photograph with me and Ali. Well guess what? You, coming, a, you coming tomorrow? I saying? got a photograph with Ali. <laughs> okay good. All right, Check man. this out. I, I met Muhammad Ali in Washington D.C. during the Congressional Black Caucus. We were both staying in the May, Mayflower Hotel. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually interacted with him three separate times over that weekend. But the first time, um, I was sitting maybe distance a little bit farther from you from him at dinner. And he kept looking at me. And I was staring. You know what I'm saying? So, Ali. Yeah. So he told me come here and I thought he was bullshit right <laughs> you know I, well first I didn't think it was me I right, looked right, around right. I did the Who whole look around thing come so I came over I was like I'm I'm sorry sir for staring he said come here. you look like Joe Fresh <laughs> jumped like that I jumped back the table started laughing man that, and so I have that cherished moment he never lost that wit yeah, lost that 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 ability to just make you smile. Yeah, man, he's awesome. And so, like the next day, we had that's an awesome picture. But look, we got a few minutes. I want to cover the the hottest three things I think in sports right now, and I want to get your opinion on them. First of all, with the war going on and everything, what the hell was Brittany Griner thinking about? Man, I just pray for that woman uh we don't know where she is specifically yeah. but clearly as for those who are listening who don't know she was detained in Russia uh supposedly caught with a a, a narcotic substance mm-hmm. which you just don't do when you travel through Europe particularly eastern Europe you just and run you in Russia you a nigga in, in Russia. Russia are Russia, you right? serious right <laughs> So it, it, it was fascinating that we didn't even know. We didn't know until last Sunday that she's been detained right. for three weeks. And I know some people are saying, why isn't it all over the news? Well, first of all, I do believe that it's been pretty widely covered. It's on all yeah. the major sites, New York Times, CNN, et cetera. It's, it's not, not at the top because there's a lot going on. So, well, go not only is there a lot going on, but trying to get her out of there is very delicate. And if yeah. there are people working to do that, they're not going to talk. Yeah, especially now, especially in the middle of especially. war, especially when who knows what the relations are with Russia. I mean, you're, you're smacking up the head upside the head on one with one hand and then got your hand out saying, give us Come Brittany on, and the it. other. Right. So I'm telling I want to tell folks, just chill. You know, let let this play out. Pray for the woman. Pray that there will be some authorities in Russia who won't use her as a pawn, who or will allow her to come home and, and, and just Stop complaining about weather, why isn't it all over the news? Sometimes mm-hmm. we need to just stand down and let the world, let God do his thing. Because that's the only way she's going to get out of there anytime soon. Amen to that. Now, what are your thoughts on the uh, MLB lockout? Rich rich folks fighting. Rich- <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Covered several uh, lockouts and strikes over the over the years between players and unions. It's happening in the NFL. It's happening in NBA. So it happens periodically. They're all wrestling over a whole bunch of money. And I'm glad that the players now have more leverage than they've had ever in history. And yeah. they're able to you know, withstand the lockout, still negotiate. Uh, maybe they didn't get all that they wanted. The owners didn't get all that they wanted. That's what negotiations are. But, you know, at the end of the day, they'll all eat. Yeah. They'll all be fine. I mean, the, the 
minimum salary for players who are three years and under and haven't reached arbitration went from five seventy to seven eighty or something like that. Yeah, I mean, and, and I know it's not close to what NBA is, but it's fewer players and a lot of things. And player contracts in the NBA are guaranteed, but they'll be all right. I'm glad they got it done until we get a whole. 162 game season. You don't have a kind of a bastard season mm-hmm. where you got you know just 50 games or mm-hmm. 100 games, and so people want to put an asterisk by mm-hmm. it. right play ball. It'll mm-hmm. it'll be fun. And there's there are a couple of you know key players to to watch. I mean, it, it, I don't follow the game that much. I mean, I I played baseball, so I love the sport. I appreciate mm-hmm. the sport. It's just not fun to watch on yeah. TV. It's, it's background noise. Um, you you. I got to add one more thing in here because you brought up the the players having more rights than ever before. Like you've seen them go from damn near slaves mm-hmm. to, you know, what they are today. What are your thoughts on the name, image, and likeness and all that kind of stuff? I love it. Yeah. Like it's about damn time. Yeah. I remember sitting, and I don't have the year, with the year that Michigan – Played, it may have been your Michigan won the national title. One March, March Madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emil Robinson mm-hmm. uh, was mm-hmm. was a star, and we were in the Seattle Superdome at the time. Just thousands of people, and I remember looking up. This was pregame and thinking, "Wow, how much money is being spent just on this day?" And those guys in the locker room are getting nothing. Mm-hmm. I get it; they were getting a free education. I understand that, mm-hmm. but you and I both know. That in the last 15 or 20 years, most of the great players, with, with the one and done, so they're playing one season. Yeah, they stopped going to class after the NBA, after the the season was over. So yeah. after March, they just didn't go to class. So were they really getting an education, or were they just provide? Were they just content? Were they a commodity for the school, which the school was able to leverage and build its brand right on? So I think that it you know go thank Ed O'Bannon. You know, he's yeah, the one who he's the man. filed the first lawsuit, UCLA. the former UCLA yeah. player that, that finally broke everybody down and said, if y'all don't do this, this whole thing is going to come down. So I think it's great. You can't, I mean, it, it's, you know, the people who are getting the money. And I think it's, we have to watch it, though, mm-hmm. because some things may be happening behind the scenes that we don't know about that might compromise the game a little bit. But I'm happy that the players are able to, at least on their name. When you would go into a, a school uh, uh, shop and see the, the quarterback's name on on the back of a jersey, even if they didn't use their name, they would have their number. They knew who that You knew who it you was. You knew who it was. Right. That player was getting nothing. That player's right. ordering pizza while their shirt is being sold in the school bookstore. So, Literally. you know, those days are, are over. And I'm happy to see players able to take advantage of their platform. To be, you know, They're being on national television. They've got their huge social media followings. God bless them. Yeah. And um, finally, we we're right here in March, man. What what are your thoughts on March Madness? Can can Alabama? How far will Alabama go? And will Auburn do it all? I think Auburn could make the Final Four. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had a solid season, and then they they had a little drop off. So it, which is good. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to have a loss sometimes. That's like when Georgia, yeah, that gives lost. you that hunger. Uh, I had friends who were Georgia fans, and they were all distraught. I said chill yeah it's good to lose they didn't want to carry that undefeated weight into the playoffs the best thing that happened to georgia football was them losing before they got there so that so i so i think having auburn having that lull you you know gets 
players back into to the present. Stop mm-hmm. thinking they're all that great. Maybe they work a little harder again. And and this is really was this our first March Madness in what eight years? No, really, COVID is like what right. three three. This will be the first one since maybe what nineteen. Right. Really? Yeah. So I think fans will be excited to see it. We've already seen some great games in the uh, uh, in the conference tournaments. My alma mater had a buzzer beater yesterday. That was so exciting. Right? Yeah. And they were down by like 14 points with three minutes left yeah. and, and had a buzzer beater to beat uh, Arizona State. So, uh, you know, already seeing some good games. I think that's, that's what makes it exciting. And I think uh, I'm happy to, happy to watch. Get your popcorn and start watching. It'll be fun. Get your popcorn ready. Speaking of well, it really has nothing to do with that, but final thing, tell me about your thoughts on primetime at Jackson State and what's that, what that's doing for HBCUs and, you know, the whole nine yards. HBCUs have seen a renaissance and seen the light shine on them pretty much since the death of George Floyd. Like a lot of our culture, we're getting much more appreciated and getting a lot of dollars. Yeah. Uh, Poured, in, poured into uh, black institutions. Uh, you no know, friends in Hollywood who say it's never been a better time to be a black fill-in-the-blank writer, right. f- videographer, right. whatever in Hollywood because mm-hmm. our stories are finally being told. So the rise of the HBCUs are part of that renaissance. You're starting to see more dollars flowing into them, uh, starting to see uh, more light shined upon them, So which is which is great, You know, providing more opportunity for our young people. What what he did, what Dion has done, is he jump started. He he shed a light onto HBC, HBCU football that no one else could ever have done. And it, it's the classic rising tide, lifting all boats. Lifting I think the shift boats. has mm-hmm. just begun to start. Uh, as you know, Birmingham has uh, signed a contract with them to mm-hmm. play in Legion Field over the next four years. I believe it's a four year contract. That's really just the beginning. It'll be interesting to see. What happens with other schools coming here in the SWAC? The SWAC is now the, you know, it, it, it's it's the biggest conference yeah. among the HBCUs. And then not right? only that, but. It's the SEC yeah. of the HBCUs. And then when you look at across the sports as well, you know, there have been for the past two or three years a couple of hints of five-star um, basketball players looking at HBCUs, so that dam is gonna break any day now. Yeah, basketball is a little different because high school player com- players coming out of high school now have options mm-hmm. where they can go get paid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's yeah. there's yeah. these new leagues that are forming that that are really drawing some of the top high school talent because they can go make three or four hundred thousand dollars while they become eligible. They get coached. By former NBA players, by they get coached by people who were coach coaching in the NBA, so they get talked out of it. But like that guy, was it Mikey something? He was really cl- considering an HBCU at right. one point, right? And so, then the the year before him, that guy was really considering. So I just think it's cool that you know you and I are at the age that we get to say we saw these things change. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. So let's take it home with uh, one more. Uh, you was there. Before I even do that, let me just share, too. You know, I'm a father. I talked about both my kids. I have a son and a daughter. And one of the things I just started with my son, we started a podcast, a video podcast called Ballin'. Okay. And, and I did it with him. He's 27. It's like an intergenerational conversation. I just wanted to highlight father and son talking. He knows now much more about sports than I do. So we we kick it every week. How old is your son? He's 27. Okay. okay. So, But he, he grew up in a household where there were a lot of sports. His mom was right. a sports fan, and obviously I was covering sports. And so he knows much more. He can tell you starting linemen 
yeah. for teams. I mean, he knows that deep, much depth about yeah. sports. So I wanted to highlight his passion, his knowledge. He's got, he, you know, growing up in our household, he obviously has a little historic stuff in his in his head too. So he knows, but he grew up in an era where black coach is not a big deal. Right? Yeah. I mean, so so it's it's a good conversation. We do whatever we, we drop it on YouTube. So it's called Ballin' with Roy and Edwin. Lawrence Johnson and, and Edwin Lawrence Johnson, named for Paul Lawrence Dunbar. So check that out on YouTube. If Say, you get, do do me a favor because I forgot to do this. As you're saying those, give your um, social media handles as well. Absolutely, uh, Roy S J on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. So I said I've been I've had those handles long enough. I didn't have to put no numbers behind it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I didn't have to put no numbers behind it. <laughs> so you wanted one more. I was there. Gosh, uh, you know, give me give me a sport, and I can I can narrow it down for you. Which one? Pick one. Um, something Birmingham related, a Birmingham tie, maybe a Birmingham athlete, maybe some Birmingham related. This is a loose Birmingham tie, but it involves Michael Jordan. Obviously, Michael okay. Jordan uh, played baseball in Birmingham. This was the place where you know he came to fulfill that dream that his father had of him playing baseball. So that that is a tie. Uh, to Birmingham, but you know, having covered the league when I did, I, I I tell people I've known Michael Jordan so long that this second year in the league, he suffered an ankle injury early in the season, missed like thirty games. I remember that, and he decided to come back before the doctors really wanted to give him the go ahead, the green light. Okay. So I was working for the New York Times, and they said, "Well, why don't you just go to Chicago and talk to Michael about why he's coming back?" I said, "Cool." Got on a plane. Went to Chicago, landed, went to the practice facility. They knew I was coming. I said, well, after practice, we talked to Michael. So imagine if Michael Jordan that we know was doing something like that, was coming back from an injury before uh, doctors said he was ready. How many reporters you think would be there? Hmm. A hundred. A hundred reporters. Guess how many reporters were there that day when I showed up? Two. None. So me and Michael just sat in the corner and chilled and talked about him deciding to come back. And every once in a while, I haven't seen him in a long time. But when I would see him, sometimes we look at each other and go, remember that day? <laughs> a lot a lot changed from that day. So second year in the league, he was just another guy trying to come back from an injury. We sat in the corner of the gym and talked about it. Wow. Was that good enough? Is that okay? Is that all right? I, I can see by the look on your face. It's all right. Okay. Nailed it. <laughs> I want to thank my friend, the man, the myth, the legend, Roy S. Johnson, for joining us. I want to thank you for listening. And as always, a huge shout out to Creed 63 and UrbanHam.com. God bless. This podcast has been brought to you by Jefferson County Sheriff's Office.